Welcome, O oh curious and inquisitive tenor, to the Cephalon Squared Lorecast. Be warned, major spoilers follow, so we recommend skipping until you've completed the game's core story quests. Otherwise, on with the show. G'day Cephalon Collective for the third time because I can't talk to the 10th episode of the Cephalon Squared Lorecast. My name's Cephalon Greg, and I'm joined by Cephalon Lucas. How are you this evening? Good, sir. Fan-fucking-tastic. Doing great. Ready we for an awesome episode. We finally got there after I did the intro three times, but we got there. <laughs> Blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> so how is it? Like, it, it, it just struck me that uh, last week or the other day, whatever it was, was episode 50. Last week's mini was episode 25, and this Lawcast is episode ten. Episode ten, Lawcast. They're all it's well, just kind not of, necessarily they're all, they're all rounded kind of, numbers. Yeah, they're but, all kind of just lining up. Yeah, yeah. Weird. Wow. But anyway, that's where we're at. So, how's the weather treating you? Well, the weather today in the lovely city of Ipswich, it is currently fourteen degrees Celsius with an eighty-six percent humidity. Interesting, interesting. So 14 degrees Celsius comes to about 57 degrees Fahrenheit. And down here in Melbourne, it's a frosty 7 degrees Celsius, which is whatever the hell that is in Fahrenheit, which is 44. Uh, and a humidity of 99% again. Why is it so humid? Stop it. Humid. That's why it's so bloody foggy outside, I imagine. Yeah, I yeah. imagine. Imagine it. I did just imagine it. Anyway, that's the end of the log Winnie with a car. I don't even. <laughs> end of the weather. I tried a Come new outro way. song. It just didn't work. Wasn't good. <laughs> All right. Mini news. That is a thing that's happening. Um, and it's a simple thing. We've said it every day for the last however many weeks. Uh, and this is the last time we'll be saying it before it actually happens. TennoCon is almost here. Don't forget to watch Tenno Live. It starts at 3 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, 11 p.m. British Standard Time, and 8 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So I tried to cover a few different times there. If you're not on there, it's because I can't do every country. Jeez. Why not? Uh, so I did a few <laughs> across across the world. Um so be ready to watch. We will be watching it. If you want to watch it with us, go to twitch.tv forward slash Cephalon Squared and watch it with us. But keep in mind, you won't be able to get your Twitch drop. So also watch Warframe's channel on your phone because you want to watch with us yes. even more. Yes. Double, double tab it. <laughs> double tab it. Two Indeed. tabs. So we, for, we will, of course, Warframe, both Lucas and myself will have Warframe on our phones sitting to the side of us while we're watching. Uh, but, you know, we need our drops too. Yeah. Drops so join, join with us and watch our live reactions. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Anything else you want to say before we continue on to this awesome lore cast? Um, oh, um, Barakatia will be coming with his lovely, glorious, uh, special Tenocon relay, which will be lasting the entire week preceding um, Tenocon. And... Digital tickets can still be purchased up until the 10th of July. Indeed. Indeed. So that's uh, oh, can right up until the 10th. Yes, right up until the 10th. I actually checked it today for one of my friends. 
Good to know. Good to know. So, um, yeah, good old Barrow. I wonder what his story is. Oh, <laughs> foreshadow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, as always, this is a lore cast and there are heavy, heavy spoilers. In fact, in this particular episode, our goal is to bring endgame players completely up to date, at least to our knowledge, with the main storyline ready for whatever is to come with the new war. war. Or possibly Nightwave Series 2 will actually lead into the new war uh, as uh, Series 1 led into the Jovian Concord. So we will be going into a whole bunch of lore all the way through to the end of the Jovian Concord today. So be excited. I'm excited. I learned a lot of things. Excitement. And another disclaimer, we are allowed to make mistakes while we do uh, research to the best of our ability. Uh, certain bits can of info can slip through the cracks, so don't burn us at the stake if we get something wrong exactly i do like steak but not that steak mm, steak. dad's jokes <laughs> anyway i am a dad it's fair enough all right here we go starting with the chimera prologue so at the end of the sacrifice the lotus disappeared taking a mortally injured ballast with her now we think he was mortally injured we don't know uh, and we do sort of find out a little bit more a little bit later. Uh, so she flies off into space in her sentient form. After an undetermined amount of time, players will then discover the man in the wall sitting on the stand in their personal quarters, playing, uh, playfully wearing the lotus's mask and laughing before disappearing. Touching that mask, of course, will then transport the player to Lua. This mission, if you can call it that, um, there are no objectives, so it's not really a mission. Uh, plays out with the player following a very playful man in the wall across the map who keeps giggling at you, doing little handstands and flips and all sorts of stuff. And occasionally, you will have to stop to fend off a bunch of Lotus apparitions before moving on. Now, these apparitions, of course, are... They appear to be conjured by the man in the wall or something like that, but we don't quite know what they are. You just have to fight a few of them off and eventually you'll be moving on. Soon enough, the player will be led to the place where they saw Ballas and the Lotus together again for the first time in the Apostasy Prologue. And you will actually hear some little snippets of the audio from the Apostasy Prologue while you're doing that. And then after Ballas and Lotus disappear... The player will then enter a portal in the place where the Lotus was originally standing. And this then transports them to an unknown location with a very different aesthetic to what players have seen previously. It's an extremely different aesthetic. I don't... It, it doesn't really look like the sentient tile set that we were shown recently in dev streams. It's very, very different. It's sort of like a hellscape, if you ask me. It's very sort of dark and brown and earthen tones tones and fiery um yeah i get i get the feeling that it's a like a dungeon on lure or something like that anyway the only way to move in this location strangely is via void dash and in the room that you finally arrive in you find the chimera that is referred to in the title of the quest and this is of course ballas himself who has been transformed by the Lotus, apparently, into a half-Orican, half-sentient nightmare with a butt-crack for legs. Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> so, let's have our first discussion, Lucas. All right. 
What do you think of the chamber that he's in? Why do you think there's a restriction to Void Dash? Do you think it's a mechanic to restrict player movement? Do you think there's a precedent in the law? Uh, and what do you think of Bellis's new design? All right, so so just jumping straight on into it, I do believe it's just a, a mechanic. Um, yeah, just to just to keep character, just to keep players in the whole stealth kind of mentality, you know, because I. There are a lot of people out there that don't enjoy stealth missions, like yourself, um, and you know having to keep out of sight by using actual movement. I can I can see a lot of people failing this and getting very frustrated and whatnot. So just by basically giving it straight up the void dash, um, easy simple stealth mechanic, then that's probably the best way they could have gone. So I feel like it's just mechanic wise. Yeah, I, I feel pretty much the same. I also think that um, it probably made the whole choreography of everything a lot easier for DE as well. Yeah, and if you look at that first, um, the first corridor they actually go into, there is nowhere realistically for you to walk along. It's just, it, it's, it's almost like a giant um, ribcage and spine with no pathway to actually walk along. Yeah, it's all just bits you sort of have to jump from, from yeah. place to place. So it makes it easier to traverse. It makes it easier for DE to do what they need to do. Because it's essentially a, just a big, long cutscene that you need to move around within. Yeah, so a, sim- a simplified mechanic for stealth. Yeah. Um, the chamber looks amazing. Um, as I, um, I pretty much already threw in my two cents of what I think of it. It's a, It looks like a giant ribcage and spine. <laughs> yeah it's an interesting way of putting it i never really thought of it that way myself <clears throat> i guess we all bring our own um you know thoughts and experiences into things so you're you you like giant rib cages that's the thing um i thought it was kind of like a hellscape it reminded me very much had a sort of hellraiser or a clive barker cabal kind of feel to it i thought um so i thought it was cool i liked mm. it it was, it was cool. It was very cool. Um, and what about Ballas and his new design? This, this is interesting. Like he, it, it's like we've taken, they've taken everything that he was and removed it. Mm. I mean, he's still got, his, he's still got his noodle arm, of course, but <laughs> the, the glorious fucking, the glorious, um, blue skin, it's gone. The, the, you know, all the, glorious ornaments that he that he wore all gone everything he's basically just been stripped down to the bare minimum and his body has been distorted and remade into something that is not ballas yeah and it's um it's very striking how different he is because when you first see him in the apostasy prologue he's very regal he stands with a very sort of authoritative stance. He's lean, he's tall. Uh, and now when you see him, he's still tall, of course, but he's got those horrific sentient legs. And he's more slouched. He's, he's, yeah, it's, um, I want, I want to say it's like taking Lord of the Rings and we go Smeagol to Gollum. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a good analogy. It is true. All right. Anything else you want to say on that? Uh, nope. Cool, cool. Moving on. So, while the player moves about 
you know, using Void Dash, watching Ballas, they listen to him lamenting his situation, essentially blaming the Lotus for his loss of humanity, which is a quote from him, but also confused as to why he would betray her. After all, he says, she gave him the gift of life. Now, we can only expect that this means she saved him from death after we stabbed him in the guts, and we it does become clear. Uh, over time, his confusion turns to hatred, and he mentions that she, I quote, stole his perfect death, which is an interesting, interesting phrase. Now, while that is interesting, possibly the most important thing that he says, though, is this. Did you want to read it out, Lucas? Go on. All right. <clears throat> Those devils. What has their great awakening accomplished but the destruction of potential allies? Don't they see? Now, this is a really interesting quote for several reasons. Obviously, he is talking about the Tenno because the uh, Orican referred to the Tenno as being devils. Uh, the Great Awakening, of course, refers to us all reawakening in the second dream. Um, and the destruction of potential allies can really only mean that the loss of, of Natar, the Lotus, and himself, I guess. And the sentience themselves. So it's still really, in my opinion, up in air exactly what he's talking about. But it's a very interesting quote, which is why I had to pull it out. I mean, Any I, thoughts I, on you, that, Lucas? You, you could look at it that way, but when I when I look at this quote, I look at more going a little bit further back to the very start of the of the game, where we are awakened um, in mass by the Lotus um, for Vor's prize. I see that as possibly the Great Awakening, and the destruction of potential allies. Maybe talking about. Um, the Grenier and the, Grenier and the Corpus. Corpus, because now he's clearly seen just what kind of uh, individual or you know being Lotus is. What has she made us do? She's basically made us destroy potential allies. Yeah, but in the same way, while we have killed a lot of Grenier and, and Corpus, we've also not really started an all-out war against them. So they still exist as full factions. Mm, but trying so, to get them to, to side with us, I can imagine, will be pretty difficult now. Well, it depends. When the when the sentience come, like they mm -hmm. say, um, great evil makes uh, strange bedfellows. Actually, something something on that that I want to touch on later on. Um, so, yeah, we, later on I'll touch on that. Okay, so we, we aren't 100% sure exactly what he's talking about, but there's, it's, it is an interesting quote. So eventually he does indicate that he is aware that the Tenno is there and asks if the devil, sorry, asks the devil themselves if they know what must be done, offering them the Paracesis, the sword that was sort of being built piece by piece as he, he was talking, uh, and turning away. Now, I can only assume that he turns away so that the Tenno can get to it in time and of course you the player then takes the sword uh which uh interestingly ballas refers to as the idea of the sword which is pretty cool because that's really all you get as a reward is the blueprint and then he's notices noticed by the lotus's eye which has been scanning or around all this time and she calls 
the uh, she calls the Tenno. So that's pretty much the end of the the Chimera prologue. You end up back on your ship. You've got the Paracelsus uh, heavy greatsword that you can build, which you should bloody build because it's amazing. Uh, and he refers to that as the Sentient Killer. And if you have built that sword, you will understand why. Because as you continue to level it up, and it does get to rank 40 if you put 5 former into it, uh, it gains the ability to damage Sentience. Good fun times. Yeah, good fun times. Great sword. Do you remember what the um, actual stat is? Um, I'm pretty sure it's just uh, Tau damage. All right. Anything you wanted to say before I move on to further lore? No. No. Okay, so since the Chimera Prologue came out, there's been plenty of other things that have been released. But personally, there are two things in particular that directly continue the main storyline. Now, I didn't realise it until I was um, researching for this particular article that they do continue the main storyline, but let me get into it. The first part is Nightwave, the Wolf of Saturn 6. So this event saw the escape of a major Grenier prisoner from a high-security prison on Saturn 6, and this is, of course, the Wolf. This new enemy's primary goal was to track down and destroy the Warden of Saturn 6 because he hates him with the burning intensity of a billion suns. Somehow... The location of the Warden is acquired by Alad V, and the Wolf is con- convinced to endure one of Alad V's experiments. Now, what's not exactly clear is whether or not it's part of an agreement between Alad V and the Wolf, whereby the Wolf gets to kill the Warden at the expense of losing something of himself, or, as it seems to be, uh, the, the Wolf is lured by Alad V and enslaved by surprise. So, the image that's shown during the Nightwave episode... Um, I think it's the sixth or the fifth section of Nightwave shows the wolf looks like he's kind of being taken surprise by Alad V. So it seems like Alad V leads the wolf to the warden. He kills the warden and then Alad V jumps him and, and does some crazy stuff to him. But it's never really explicitly stated. So how is the wolf changed? Well, he becomes the first of Alad V's new sentient hybrids. At least the first that's referred to in-game, which he refers to as Amalgam Dogs. Where does he get access to this sentient tech? It's not exactly explained here, but the next update, the Jovian Concord, Concord, certainly does explain that. In the end, the wolf escapes Alad V's grasp, once again becoming his own free Grenier. Although we haven't run into him again. Yet. (laughs) Yet yet all right so of course the next part is the jovian concord and this is really really interesting if you haven't heard all of the lore here have a damn good listen because a lot of it's hidden i have a, a, a good shout out for uh the website the Oricon archives by uh one of our discord members gray archon it was the only place where i could find all of the text of that um the Lotus speaks during the Ropalolist quest. So thank you to Grey Archon for taking the time to write that up because no one yet else has. Uh, apart from that, though, there are a bunch of fragments that also have a shitload of really good information. And these are the partnership fragments. And it's all about Alad V. So essentially the story is this. 
Aladvi seeing disruption in the board and Nefanyo winning favour with his position on Venus, Aladvi sees an opportunity to grow his fortune by investing in some strange technology offered by an old colleague who has returned out of the blue, whose name is Regis. It turns out this technology is sentient tech, but the potential profits outweigh the risk, at least for Alad V. However, Regis was not Regis the whole time, but he was in fact a sentient mimic pretending to be him, and Alad V discovers that he has been tricked into a partnership with the sentients. The Ropalolist is actually dispatched to Jupiter to keep Alad V in line. He's basically there, or it is basically there, to keep him, Alad V, manufacturing amalgams. If he stops, or if he tries to cross the sentience, the Ropalolist will destroy the gas city. In the end, Alad V does make good profit from it, and his deception is hidden from the rest of the corpus investors, at least for the time being. It's not known at this stage if Alad V is aware of the sentient plans, but he does mention that, and I quote, the nature of the project will be kept secret for now. So that's really, really interesting. That's basically the story behind the Jovian Concord and why the Roper Lolist is there. Uh, and where he gets all the sentient tech that you see him in uh, investigating, experimenting on, uh, across the new Jovian Concord Gas City maps. Quick note, it would appear as a result of all of this that the Ropalolist is actually not an Eidolon in the same sense as the others. So the other Eidolon are re they're, they're remnants of the Old War, who basically come to life every night searching for their lost pieces. It appears that the Ropalolist is simply a new living, living sentient threat that was possibly created by Natar herself. In fact, she refers to it directly as her other flesh. So, continuing on to the fight against the Ropalolist, Natar tells her story. She tells the story of her parents, and she calls her father a farmer and her mother a carpenter, which is interesting. So obviously her father was to bear children and her mother was to build, obviously, probably, I'm guessing, to build the ship that is coming. Soon Natar was born. Herself she refers to as a mimic or a spy. She was apparently tasked to burrow into the nests and destroy the Tenno, but she took mercy when she tore, saw the Tenno faces. But Natar rejects that this was in fact the truth, as asserting that she was also a prisoner of the reservoir on Lua, and that she was somehow hacked or overwritten by the creators, in inverted commas, the Orican that is, to destroy her own family, the sentients. Now she's been saved by her family and tasked with the creation of new beings, new enemies, the Amalgams. During the battle, going over the things that uh, Natar says, two things become very clear. Natar was changed when she became the Lotus, and she now seems to have the capability to deny the Void. Now that's really in an interesting thing that she says, and I wonder how that will play out in the new war. The second very important thing is that Natar has also heard the voice of the man in the wall. So it's not just the players who have heard him, and in fact she explicitly refers to the void as the wall during the battle, which is also really bloody interesting. 
Once the battle is over, Natar sends a transmission to advise that the Tenno has eradicated her people time and time again, and now that her family has returned, soon the Tenno's trial will begin. So it's a lot of extremely heavy foreshadowing into, obviously, the new war. So what do you think, Lucas? All right, so I'm going to go back to um, the Chimera Prologue where you mentioned something about when the, uh, the, when the sentience may arrive. And then kind of fast forward a bit from there to where we talked about Regis. Uh, Regis was, in fact, being... Uh, it was a sentient mimic that was pretending to be Regis. So what's not to say that the sentients are already here. They definitely already are, because... But to what extent? Like, what game-changing ways are they going to appear? Are we going to possibly walk to Maru's Bazaar? We walk into Maru's Bazaar to find that Maru is actually, in fact, not Maru. I don't think so, because that doesn't make good narrative sense. It makes narrative sense, but it doesn't really make good sense. It would destroy the story that we've all gone through to have a character that like that. I don't know. It depends. It's it depends possible when they disappeared, when they were replaced, when when. Well, look, that's that's another thing. But <clears throat> why would they be replacing? Ev- well, they could be replacing everyone to infiltrate. But I don't know. I, d- I don't think it's going to go down that path. It could sleeper agents. <laughs> It definitely could go down that path because, I mean, they've proven it with Regis that it is possible, um, for sure. But, you know, we don't know when the sentience arrived. They definitely arrived around the time that Ballas made his move, possibly earlier, probably earlier, because Ballas was uh, was already sided with the the sentience by then. Maybe they were alerted... uh... Could have even been back with the Stolen Dreams or the New Strange. Yeah, that's Strange. what I was going to say. Maybe they were alerted when we woke up Hunhau or when the Grenier woke up Even then. Hunhau. So, so it, who has been replaced? If anyone has been replaced, who has been replaced? And when were they replaced? Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I personally think you're going down... You're leading yourself possibly down a garden path <laughs> by thinking that people have been replaced. But then again... It's says Greg, have, who has possibly been Maybe replaced. Been replaced. <laughs> so, I think the more interesting stuff is that Natar seems to think she has the capability to devo- deny the void. Mm. So that is very interesting. Yeah. So, if she has the capability to deny the void, then what is it that can damage her? That can... What, that, what is her weakness now? Yeah. If she even has one or as basically has she used the amalgam research to um, rid themselves of weakness? Because I, be- I believe that was something else that kind of came up in the uh, Repolist, um fight as you're heading towards it. Basically, weakness has been bred out of their out of their line now. Well, no, she. That's what the amalgams were planned to be. Yeah, yeah. So the amalgams were meant to breed out those weaknesses. Um, but the other thing is, if she was damaged coming over and she was unable to have children, then how is the Ropololist her other flesh? Mm-hmm. Or is it more that the Ropololist is... An amalgam? Possibly an amalgam, mm-hmm. or like a brother slash sister to her, a sibling. 
of Harrow, uh, not Harrow, Hunhow. Hunhow. So there's a few, few interesting things that they say there, but clearly there's going to be a big ass fight. Yeah, it could even simply just be literally her other flesh, like her other body. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, ima- imagine imagine if the the Ropalolist is essentially the sentience attempt at creating um, warframes with transference. Yeah, <laughs> possible. <laughs> or even maybe Natar did have children before she left. There's that even to cross the void. Uh, who knows? But it, I think it's pretty clear now that what you were saying a few episodes ago, that her mother's probably the, the giant ship and, you know, Hun Hao is the parent in the uh, the sense of him being, you know, mother and father. Yeah. I think that's kind of clear by what she said. Her father was a farmer and her mother was a carpenter. Yeah. I mean, it's not really clear. It's kind of weird. but it, um, Yeah. Well, I mean, what isn't weird at this stage? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> if you read into it, that's sort of uh, where it seems to go. I just found all of that really, really interesting. I like the story that they've got with the Jovian Concord for Alad V. I thought that was really cool. Poor Alad V. Yeah, he just gets <laughs> fucked over, doesn't he? But he's also incredibly evil because he does this stuff. I mean, that's that's why... He cheers you on when you're when you're fighting the Ropalolis because he can't be doing it himself. Yeah, is he really evil? I I wouldn't really put um, Alad, Salad V down to being evil. I'd just put him down to being someone who's out for self preservation and just seems to make the the wrong decisions. I think it's more than just self preservation though. It's he's out for profit a hundred percent. He wants to be at the top of the ladder and he makes decisions that I think he knows other wrong decisions uh he didn't necessarily want to be in a partnership with the sentience though that that is pretty much made clear by the the partnership (laughs) fragments but yeah yeah he was he was suckered into that one but he did know (laughs) what he was getting into he mentions that as well so yeah yeah, it is interesting uh, and cool stuff so anything else you want to say about that before you go on to yours keep an eye on the mimics yeah, I would imagine so. So I think, um, I think there's some. <laughs> I've got a feeling that series two of Nightwave is actually going to feed into the new war, and that's why they've held it off. I hope so. Because why else would they have the intermission ending the day of Tenocon? Yeah, it just makes sense to me that after Tenocon, when they've shown off what they need to show. But I don't think Series 2 will start on the day of Tenocon. I think no. they'll give it a couple of days. But they'll show off whatever week. they need to show at Tenocon, and then they'll they'll kick into it. That's that's the feeling I've got. And I think it's because something they're going to show at Tenocon is going to feed into Nightwave Series 2. I don't know. We shall see. Because I, I know they did say that they had planned to, re- to release Nightwave before Tenocon, but it's just their choice of dates is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that is uh, the Chimera Prologue uh, and up to now. So, Lucas, what are you talking about? Barakatia. With Tenocon only days away, the mysterious void trader Barakatia also makes his way, giving access to all his wares to those either attending or were lucky enough to purchase a digital ticket. Digital ticket still on sale. But like uh, we ask for every character within the Origin system, who is Barakatia? 
Well, the basics are that he is a conceited businessman who has found a means to access the void in order to procure relics of old to turn a profit. But surely that's not all there is to this connoisseur of Oricon artifacts. Operation Cryotic Front. Spurred by the threat of the Bala Fomorians, Barakatir first approached the Tenno as a mystery associate anonymously and offered his assistance in, com uh, in combating the new Grenier threat, but at a price. The cost of his assistance was cryotic, which at the time could only be excavated on Earth, Phobos, and Europa. It was later revealed by Barrow himself that the cryotic was needed to preserve Martian Oasis jellyfish, which is a delicacy that spoils easily during transit. Priorities, right? <laughs> Amusingly enough, it was in fact Davo that revealed the mysterious associate to be Barrow Katia, and seemingly did so out of spite. Davo goes on to mention a trade he made with Barrow for a sample of the Martian jellyfish, at the cost of a crate full of prime blueprints and two argon crystals. The result of this trade were that Davo suffered a swollen throat for a number of days due to the devoured delicacy. Poor Davo. <laughs> uh, Operation Gatecrash. Shortly preceding the events of Operation Cryotic Front, it was finally time to take the battle to the Bala Fomorians, and much like he had promised, Barakatir came through with the means for the Tenno to fight. So for all of you out there who have their own Arkwing, you have Barrow to thank. As at this time, he gifted the Tano with a data mass containing information to the ancient technologies. Yay! Thanks, Barrow! Yay! The next time we really jump into anything relating to Barrow was with the Sands of Inaris. So a starting comment on this particular quest. Barrow charges Tano a price for accepting a mission objective that is sure, that is purely set for Barrow's own gain. Let that sink in. You have to pay to help Barrow. <laughs> okay, now with that out of the way, the Sands of Inaris starts with Barrow revealing that before the Grenier, Mars was occupied by a colony referred to as Sky Worshippers. And due to them all being eradicated by the Grenier, the relics of this now dead civilization fetch a pretty penny as valuable antiques. So the Tenno was tasked with procuring relics of the Sky Worshippers. During the events that transpire in this questline, it is revealed that the Sky Worshippers were once attacked by what they called the Golden Skymen, presumably the Oregon, who would abduct people from the colony uh, for unknown reasons. This is until the arrival of Inaris, who later would be referred to as the God King. Furthermore, it is revealed that Inaris was once, in fact, one of the Golden Skymen, until the abduction of a child caused Inaris to turn on the other Golden Skymen and kill the abductors, returning the child to his people and becoming instantly a hero. While the ruins are being searched, this story is being narrated by a disembodied woman's voice and is seemingly being told to a young child of the Sky Worshippers. Both the Tenno and Barrow can hear the story unfold, and the voice seems to unnerve the Void Trader. In the end, it is revealed that these are the final moments of Barrow Katir's mother, as she hides the young Barrow away and tells him to pray to Anaros before meeting her end along with the rest of the Sky Worshippers, leaving our very own Void Trader as the sole survivor of the Mars colonies. As conceited as Barrow may seem, he has endured great loss and struggle, 
uh, to come from nothing and to rise to a position of respect and power. Despite the how, Barrow as a character has more depth than we can initially see, and I can only hope for more to be revealed as time goes on. Agreed. I really enjoyed the uh, Sands of Anaras quest mm. because of the story behind it. And even Barrow Katir gets there's, gets a little bit emotional during it as well. Yeah. It, it was quite an interesting quest. was not what I was expecting it to be. Uh, personally, I love Egyptian history, so I liked that it was sort of... It had that feeling kind to of, it. Kind of, kind of um, sculpted to, to fit that kind of um, genre, yeah. Yeah, so it was um really good quest, really good story, made me respect Barrow a little bit more. Uh, yes. Like you said, it'd be interesting to, to learn more about his, his character and what the hell he actually does when he's not there. Yeah, and as I said, like, he, he went from nothing to everything, so... <laughs> what does he do with all the ducats? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the prime parts. All the prime parts. Spends them all on those on those uh, oasis jellyfish. I guess <laughs> <laughs> they must be expensive. You can only buy them in ducats. <laughs> cool. So um, I thought that you made a very good choice with that. It's a very timely choice to cover Barrow Katia because yeah, he's coming this weekend. All right. Anything else you wanted to say before we close out the show? Nope. Nope. I've I've said my piece. Cool as so indeed you did, sir. So um, to end up the show, we will of course need to thank our wonderful patrons slash producers. I'll start this time. Thanks to Rathok. Thank you, Adop eighty eight. Thank you, Jellybean seventeen ninety nine. Thank you, Logan Neal. Thanks, Lord Frieson. Thank you, Iron Self Thousand. Thanks, Danathan. And thank you, Obsolete Ninja 13. Thank you to all of you. And of course, if anyone else would like to be a patron and help build the show, the website, YouTube channel, Twitch channel, etc., everything we're working on, um, please go to patreon.com forward slash Cephalon Squared. All donations are appreciated, but of course, not required. Go to our website, cephalonsquared.com, and find all the information about us. Um, we try to keep it up to date with as much information about Warframe as we can. Uh, trying to fill out all of the Weapon 101s, it will take forever, but we're getting there slowly. We're almost finished with the Warframe 101s, and we're going to start moving into guides and lore. Lucas has already got me a good hefty backlog of lore to post, but Rather than just posting one ep- uh, one law piece at a time, I do want to get to a point where I can put a few up and create a whole law page, uh, which is why I'm sort of delaying that, but we're getting there. Please give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Spread the word to help us grow. My name is Greg Newbigin. I am Mad Capsules. You can follow me on Twitter at Mad Capsules, but I'm pretty much Mad Capsules all over the place. Who are you, Lucas? I am Lucas Silvestri, and I am Silverlight all over the place. S-I-L-V-R-L-G-H-T. Throw in an underscore somewhere in that for Twitch. Um, but yeah. Thank you so much to everyone in our community. Love you guys. Uh, love the awesome conversations I wake up to every day. And and it's just, it's amazing. So thank you so much, guys. Guys and gals. 
thanks to all. And thanks to Yarn at Disco underscore Box on Twitter for the intro and outro, and I haven't heard any complaints from him as receiving any um, awkward messages via Twitter. Uh, so please get on out there and say that you want to, I don't know, fall asleep on his tongue to the gentle caress of his voice or something like that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and I will continue to say this until someone does it, damn it. All right. <laughs> Just tell him Cephalon Greg sent him, sent you. Uh, yes. Thank you as always to you for listening to yet another episode of Cephalon Squared. Can't believe we've hit episode 10 of the Lawcasts. Uh, we're almost at a year. Thank you so much. And we cannot wait for the great Tenocon episode this coming weekend. Keep an eye out for it. And keep an eye out for the live reactions on Twitch. Indeed. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cephalon Squared. If you'd like to contact us, reach out via our website at cephalonsquared.com, where you can find us via email, Facebook, Twitter, or Discord. But don't fret, there'll be more Cephalon Squared in a few short days. So don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.